man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. And yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Would you be seated, please? So to the people of Jesus' day, these next couple of stories in the Gospel of Mark probably sound like a bad joke. Jesus is going around and he's meeting people like lepers and paralyzed people and tax collectors, hear the word traitors, and Jesus is befriending them and making followers of them. To the people in Jesus' day, it probably sounds a little something like uh, a leper and a lame guy and a, a tax collector walk into a bar. And I don't know if anybody ever actually told a joke like that, but I think that the paralyzed guy would say that it was pretty lame to do. <clears throat> and this is the way that they would have thought about Jesus' followers. A bad joke. But to Jesus, when he walked up to these people and he reached out and he extended a hand and he touched them, they became more than caricatures. They became more than the cartoons that they were parodied as in that time. These people were not seen as people. They were flat and colorless. They were stereotypes. Lepers, for instance, weren't even allowed to interact with people. It kind of makes you wonder when you read a story like this about Jesus talking to the leper, when was the last time that anybody ever heard a leper tell a joke? Because they weren't allowed to get close enough to have a conversation with them. And when was the last time that ever, uh, ever uh, somebody high-fived a leper or gave them a hug because they weren't allowed to come into contact with them? The rule of the land in Jesus' day was that these lepers were responsible to warn people away. Maybe you've heard this before, but they were supposed to stand while others were still at a great distance and wave their arms and yell at the top of their lungs, unclean, 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 to warn people away so that nobody would accidentally stumble into their vicinity. So by the law of the land, their responsibility was actually to promote their own stereotype and not to become people who were known by their own story and personality. And we find one of these people approaching Jesus and in so doing, breaking uh, both the norms of his society and the law. And he comes to Jesus, who now has a choice to make about whether he will obey the law or not. And Jesus, shockingly, stretches out a hand and touches this man. And the first thing we see about the man is his question. Because he comes to Jesus on his knees, humble, clearly believing that Jesus is able to do something. But he has a question. 
He asks, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Think about the way that this would look if you saw these people in front of you in real life in 3D. The leper comes up and he gets on his knees. It's a posture of humility. And he's lower than Jesus. And he's imploring, he's asking, I know you're able, but if you're willing, you can make me clean. And here is Jesus, who's been approached, who's probably standing, whose posture is active as he reaches towards the man and he's about to touch him and cure him. And Jesus' posture is, I am willing. It's a dynamic scene full of energy. And yet this man, who knows that Jesus is capable of healing him, comes with an essential faith question. Because this is an essential faith story. I know that God has power, but is he good? And, and is it power for me? Will it make a difference in my life? And does he care? And to him, am I a person or am I a byline? Am I a story? Am I just a people group? To Jesus, am I colorful? Am I seen in 3D? Or am I flat and lifeless? The man comes with his essential faith question. And he receives an answer. But he doesn't receive an answer without a second question. Jesus is willing. Jesus is able. But Jesus, according to the reading we just had, is indignant. He's angry. And this might puzzle some of us because if you're reading in your Bible, it's very likely that it says something different. Jesus, filled with compassion, reached out and said, I'm willing. And you might wonder, how can we have some Bibles that say Jesus was filled with compassion and some say he is indignant? Because those are quite a stone's throw away, aren't they? Two very different emotions. Both deep emotions, both raw emotions, and both powerful emotions that drive someone to action but very different emotions. And so we could today talk for a while about why there are these two readings, compassionate or indignant. And the study that people undertake when they're looking at old documents, like copies of the Greek Bible, uh, and they're trying to determine which of these readings is right, it's called textual criticism. Okay. So we could spend a lot of time today diving deep into textual criticism because we're curious about these two readings. And it would be interesting, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it for two reasons. Uh, one, it would take up all the time we have. And two, textual criticism gets awfully boring. Here's the, here's the summary of it. There are a whole bunch of Greek copies of the Bible like most of them, that say Jesus was filled with compassion. But one of the rules that textual critics use when they're trying to understand what was the first word there, the original word, they'll look at the numbers and they'll tally up which one is winning by the number count, but they'll also ask which one of these readings is more difficult. So let me ask you that. Which is the easier Jesus to handle? The one who's compassionate or the one who's indignant? Most of the critics say it's much harder to explain why Jesus is angry. And it doesn't seem like somebody who was copying the Bible down and came across a, a page that had a hole burnt in it 
would go, Jesus was very, and they would fill in the blank with a word, and they would go, angry. He's just always angry. Let's say he's indignant. Like, that doesn't seem reasonable. So it's more likely that the way the Greek Bible morphed there, the way it changed, was that somebody didn't know how to explain his anger, and they said, well, let's say that he was filled with compassion, because many places the Bible says he had compassion. The Bible also says there's a few times when Jesus was angry, like in Mark chapter 3. You can go look that one up if you want. When Jesus saw the stubborn hearts of the people and he was angry. Here's the point of this. It doesn't really matter whether Jesus was indignant or compassionate in the original copy. What matters is that we can see that both are true in the story. This works Jesus up a little bit because something is being questioned. But he's not angry at the man for asking if you're willing. He's angry at something else. I have a feeling it's the misrepresentation of God that's going around as people are talking about Jesus' ministry. You remember that in the stories that we've read in the last few weeks, Jesus was healing many people. He throws a demon out right in the worship service, and everybody sees it, so people flood his door for healing. And he heals, and he heals all night long, and then he goes out to pray into the wilderness. And when his disciples come, they're so excited that the healings have been successful that they're ready to set up shop. Remember this? They're like, Jesus! Everyone is looking for you. We've put them in a line. We've given them numbers, and a food truck is on the way. We're going to monetize this. You're going to be the most popular rabbi in all Judea. And Jesus says, no, I need to go to other villages and preach because that's why I've come. And Jesus leaves sick people behind. And I wonder what that was like for the people who showed up at the house that morning expecting a healing and they found that he had, he had left to preach. And it seems like maybe some people are saying about Jesus and questioning him and saying, well, this Jesus, he's all about preaching, but when it comes to actually serving the people, he's never where you need him to be. And they're misrepresenting what he's about and what the kingdom of God is about. This guy comes with the question, I have heard you're able, but I don't know if you're willing. Are you going to preach to me, Jesus, or are you going to do something to clean my life? And Jesus, filled with anger at this misrepresentation of God who is always compassionate and always sees the individual in the middle of the crowd says of course I'm willing be clean and then he does the unthinkable he breaks the law and he touches the man this makes Jesus ritually unclean unthinkable for a rabbi And the point of this seems to be that we have deep emotions like Jesus feels in this moment. And one of the most important things about you is what stirs you to action. What is it that you get upset about? What is it that you feel deeply? What is it that brings compassion and maybe some indignation at the injustice and brokenness in the world roaring to the surface in your heart where you're ready to do something about it? That's one of the most important things about you. Whether you're just tapping into the rage of the age or whether, like Jesus, there is some righteous formation in what makes you angry so that you get angry when you see injustice 
or God's purposes being misrepresented or people being parodied and turned into cartoons. In this story, we see that Jesus does another confusing thing. He sends the man away with this message. He says, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Why would Jesus, again, send a person away and tell them, shh, don't tell anyone? Jesus is walking a fine line here of provoking the powers that be. If he stirs up the leaders in Jerusalem too quickly and they decide to put him to death before his hour has come, to put it in Jesus' words, what good has he done the world? And who has he trained? And who's prepared? But Jesus isn't afraid of the leaders in Jerusalem. It's not that he's a coward to be seen for who he is. There's a parallel story to this one where Jesus is not afraid. And he's ready to act. In Mark chapter 14, we get the only other story in the Gospel of Mark where the word leper occurs. It's just kind of an interesting thing. As you read through the book, like we all know that Jesus healed lame people and gave sight to the blind and fixed the ears of the deaf. And everybody knows that Jesus healed lepers, the people with these infectious skin diseases who were unclean, right? We all know it. But in the Gospel of Mark, it actually only happens this once. And then you go for 13 chapters without seeing the word leper again. Until chapter 14, when right before his crucifixion, Jesus is having a meal at the house in the town of Bethany of a man who's called Simon the leper. Well, what a moniker to have, right? We only know two things about Simon the leper. His name was Simon... And, thank you, he was a leper. We don't know when he was cured. We don't know how he was cured. We don't know if he might be the man from Mark chapter 1 who was cured then. Or if he's just a stand-in for somebody who's experienced that kind of exclusion. But Simon the leper, at one point in his life, was on the outside. He was a man who wasn't known. He was faceless. He was like all of the people who are just a number on the list waiting for an organ transplant. He was like all of the faceless refugees. They're just those people that come from a hard place in the world until they're not. One day I was in Dallas and I needed an Uber and I got in the Uber, and here is this dark-skinned man, and he speaks like uh, with an accent. And the truth is, is I was a little bit afraid to ask him too many questions because I kind of have this feeling now that like uh, anybody who's not white thinks that like white males are just hateful and bigoted. And I wanted to like ask him some questions about who he was, but uh, I was trying to kind of like be nice and ask him a question and. Boy, he was just, he was being real friendly. We started talking. And I was like, so, you know, I found out he was a refugee. I was like, how has it been for you to be in America? You know, have people been kind to you? He's like, it's been wonderful here. Tell me more about it. So Mojibur uh, came from Burma. 
And he got on a boat with about 150 other refugees who were fleeing violence in Burma. And the boat ran out of diesel, started drifting. And then the boat ran out of food and people started dying. And so after they'd been adrift for several weeks at sea, 75 people are dead on the boat. And the rest of them are faint and they're near death. He says that time over those days, it's very hard to remember because a lot of the time was just in this like dreamy state. They're asleep, they're barely coherent until one day a bunch of authorities flood onto the boat. They board the ship. The ship had crossed into some international waters and these people from uh, Sri Lanka had called the UN and the UN came and they got them all, the 75 that were left alive. And they cleaned up the bodies they took Mojibur and the rest of the refugees into a, a place where they fed them. And over the next three years, they taught them English and they gave them food and they nourished them back to health. And then they told them, we have a visa for you. You're going to Dallas. And you got an apartment for eight months. And then after that, figure it out. And so he started driving for Uber. And he's figuring it out. And he got married and he has a kid. And he just thinks it's great to be here. And now I have a face, just one, but I have a face so that when I think of refugee, I think of Mojibur, a person. This is what Jesus is doing for lepers when he touches the leper. And this is what Simon the leper and his dinner party are about to experience in Mark 14. In the dinner party, a woman comes in. And she comes up to Jesus, and now the roles are reversed. Jesus is seated, probably at the dinner table. So we have to imagine, like most of the tables in their day, that he's seated on the floor like this, leaning, reclining, and they have a low table, and he's eating. So now Jesus is the one who's in the lower posture. And the woman comes in, and she's standing over Jesus. Now she's in the place that he was in in the first story, and she has blessing in her hands. She has this precious oil, this rich ointment, and she breaks the jar, and she anoints his head. She pours it over him. She touches him. And in doing that, she breaks all kinds of norms and all kinds of expectations again because here is this woman who's, one, breaking up this popular dinner party where all these important people are at and two, she's touching a rabbi in public. It just doesn't go. And there are all of these hints in Mark that these stories were meant to be read together because it's the only two places you see the word leper and because of the posture and the dynamics of the story and because when the people see her pour the oil on Jesus' head, it says some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? See, they have a deep emotional response. And their response is, what a waste. And it makes them angry. And so you know, and so you know that I know, the Greek word for indignant that's here is different from the other one, Okay. Not as if the Greek reader would have gone, oh, that's the same, exact same emotion, but they're almost the same feeling going on. An angry response. But when Jesus was angry, he was angry at the way that God's purposes were being misrepresented. Angry at the brokenness in this man's life and the suffering and the fact that he'd been parodied and turned into this flat, 
faceless person. And now the people at the dinner party are angry, but they're angry because it's inconvenient. Because this woman is too enthusiastic in her support for the rabbi. It's like, calm down a little bit, woman, right? Like, nobody wants to see all your emotion as you worship Jesus. They don't think it's proper. And Jesus says to everyone listening at the party, including Simon the leper, why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you. Jesus is, of all the people I've read about, the most on the side of the poor. It's not as if in saying that Jesus is ignoring the poor. Jesus touched the poor, he fed the poor, he lived among the poor. Jesus was the poor. But he says, in this moment right now, you'll always have the poor with you and and you can take care of them, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She prepared my body beforehand for burial. And then he says, I tell you the truth. See, he he told the leper, don't tell anyone. He says to the dinner party, everywhere that they tell the story about me, talk about this woman. Tell her story. Give her a face. She's done a beautiful thing. And these are stories that map over top of each other because what stirs your heart to action is one of the most important things about you. And Jesus has been putting people to the test through all of his ministry. What do they really get angry about? Immediate healing. Touch. The elders and I have spent a little bit of time talking recently about how we want this church to become a place that prays even more. We want to be a people that pray together. Sometimes it feels like the hour that we're together for worship and the hour of Bible class are so busy that a lot of times we don't even really pray the way we would like. And what is it about prayer that breaks through the crust of people being stereotyped? It's that when you take the hands of another person and you look eye to eye and you pray that you're touching somebody and their story matters. Where they've been matters and what they've done matters. No matter how good or how bad, they become a person again in full, living, breathing 3D. The image of God that he loves and he cares about. And you touch a life. The early church believed in this so much that whenever James was writing his little letter, he said, if any of you are in trouble, have the elders of the church come and pray over them and they will anoint you with oil and the sick person will be made well. And if he sinned, he'll be forgiven and God will raise him up. And we still have sick people that we pray over who die. And just like the leper, we look at God and we go, I know you're able, but are you willing? When Jesus was touched by the woman, he said, this oil of anointing prepared me for my burial. See, most people were anointed with oil and with spices when they were dead. When the body was cold and they were going into the ground because the family had time to bury them properly and to anoint them. But Jesus is about to be murdered in this mock trial and thrown into a grave. And before the women get there on the first day of the week to take care of his body, he's already back. 
So he gets anointed beforehand. And this is what prayer is. God's always willing and he's always loving and he's always able and when we break through that with each other and we pray and we look each other in the eyes, it's a way that we say to each other that you matter as a person. And it's a way we begin to challenge the authorities in the world that would say that that people don't matter or that they're just a number or just a crowd. It's what a doctor does whenever they go beyond the basics and they get to know the name and the history of their patient. It's what a teacher does when they care for the child and they begin to really find out what's going on in the home and maybe they go a little extra above and beyond to really minister to this child. It's what we have a chance to do as a church with each other and with faceless people around us to be like the God who touches and the God who prays over. And so today I'm gonna invite one of our elders to come up and to do exactly this. Uh, We're gonna have a prayer today led by Dennis, one of our shepherds here, and we need the microphone for that. Dennis is going to pray specifically for for people who have requested prayers because of illness um, and whatever else you wanna pray for. And then after uh, Dennis prays, we'll have our invitation song. And you're welcome to come down here uh, and to pray with me or to meet with some of our elders and pray in the back or just to pray with people next to you. We hope that some will take advantage of this. All right, thank you.